Okay, I'm glad you're here. It's a uh, it's a big day. It's uh, it's it's Rosh Chodesh Tammuz. Um, this is actually when the spies left on their on their journey. So so really starting starting now or maybe it was the day before, but. Uh, Everybody knows that they arrived in Israel uh, or to the Jewish people with their report on the 9th of Av. So if you go back 40 days, that's, that's this, this time right now. And one of the, one of the striking things is, is that they, they explored the land for 40 days and, and God said that for each day that they explored the land, that was going to be one year that the Jews would wander in, in the desert. So that's where we get the 40 years of wandering from each day God says will equal one year. So we have a concept in the Gomorrah that if something is true for the bad, it's 500 times more true for the good. So from this, we, we, we learn out something very interesting, which is that if they could accomplish for the bad one year's worth for every day, this period of time is sort of like maximized spiritually that we can get one year at least for the good <laughs> in terms of... Or, or 500 years for the good. I, I wouldn't know exactly how to do the calculation, but but um, but that would make sense too. So 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 this is a very fertile, a very very fertile time, spiritually speaking, to to, to maximize um, to maximize all of our good activities. And uh, I, I I'm reminded of a, a joke which I, I heard Reb Shlomo tell one time, and he he laughed very hard after he told it, but he he didn't give the explanation. And so I'm going to tell you the joke, and I'll tell you just the my explanation, anyway, just for what it's worth. So he said that uh, there were two people talking, and one says to the other, how far is it from Minsk to Pinsk? So, so the guy says, you know, 11 hours. And he goes, oh, really? So how far is it from Pinsk to Minsk? He <laughs> said, I just told you, from Minsk to Pinsk, it's 11 hours. For, from Pinsk to Minsk, it's also 11 hours. He goes, ah, 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 because from... Purim to Pesach, it's 30 days. But from Pesach to Purim, it's 11 months. <laughs> so, so anyway, what I, what, what, what I took from that is that sometimes someone can do something and it can take a short period of time, but it can take a very long period of time to rectify. So I think that, that um, you know, certainly we, we experience that with the 40 days turning into 40 years and certainly we've we've experienced a very long exile that we've been in uh, you know for, for for quite a while but but don't be fooled don't be fooled you know I'm always reminded of the, the amazing Reb Lebla Egertara that says that the definition of exile is that you think that because today was like yesterday tomorrow is going to be like today so because today was like yesterday, it doesn't mean that tomorrow is going to be like today. You know, it's, it's, um, I, remember, I remember I was once looking through a book, and, and I knew that at a certain point, you know, some books have like special indexes in the back. And I don't know, this is just a small example, but somehow it stayed with me. And I was looking for that index, but I was in the back of the book, and, and everything changes when that index sort of hit. And I was flipping through the back pages, and it wasn't there, and it wasn't there, and it wasn't there. And I thought, am I, am I imagining that it was ever there? And I continued to flip, and I was like, it should have been here by now. What's going on? And then I flipped some more, and there it was. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's, that's kind of like what it's going to be like. At a, at, at a certain point, 
It's already from the very beginning of time. The end of days, the perfection of the world, was already inputted from the very beginning. It was, it's, it's not like we're, we're waiting for it to happen. Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen. No, it was, it's, it's part of the structure from the very, very, very beginning. So it's just a question of when. It's just a question of when. So, so I want to talk about a, a number of things, but, 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 but I want to begin by talking about just transcendence. And that the human beings are created with an absolute need for transcendence. And we are going to experience and arrive at our transcendence no matter what. So, so it's just a question of whether we properly understand how we were created, who we are, and, 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 and how we go about this. So, so, so you see, there, the relationship between the mind and the soul is very, very interesting. You, you've got a concept of belief, but then there's something higher than belief, and that's knowing. So ideally, we can get to the place beyond belief, we can get to the place of knowing. So let me just, just sort of like, um, what, one of the things that I've observed over the years in terms of dealing with, you know, spiritual people or people who are striving and things like that, is that you, you, you have what I think is a very sort of like crazy situation. Let's say that person doesn't believe. Ah, I don't believe at all. But, but I believe. Oh, okay, you believe. Okay, what do you believe? I believe... Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. <laughs> wait a second. Wait, wait, let's, let's start again. That guy doesn't believe at all. I believe. Okay, great. That's fantastic that you believe. What do you believe? I believe maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. <laughs> it's not a great, that's an, it's not a great level. And, and only when we have insight into the fact that so many of us think this way can we begin to get past it. So the thing is, is that God exists, which means the objective reality is he's there. You see, people make a big mistake. They think, they, this is what I call bad math. People think that God exists to the extent that I believe that he exists. <laughs> so you're very... You're, you, you believe in God very much. You, you're very, very religious, right? I'm not so religious, so for you, God exists a lot. For me, God doesn't exist. No, no, no. God exists objectively speaking. So there is no correlation to the extent to which we believe in him and the extent to which he exists. He exists, period, end. You know, when I, I, when I was like 13 or something like that, I was a budding philosopher, right? And I... Now, I didn't have a big output, but my output consisted of one entire line. Here, here was the line from my, from my, from my 13-year-old mind, right? It, it went like this. God doesn't have to be. He is. Right? That struck me as like, as a 13-year-old anyway, that struck me as pretty deep, right? In other words, we don't, we don't have to put any, any contingence on him. He already is. In other words... We don't have to will God into existence. God already exists. It's just a question of whether or not we accept that reality or not. So, so that's the mind. The mind wavers, right? But then you have the soul. You see, the soul knows. Because God exists, because he's an objective reality, God, 
And because our soul is a piece of God, our soul recognizes the greater reality. Now remember, our soul exists both in, in, in one solid piece. Our soul exists both inside of our bodies and outside of our bodies. In one, in one um, coherent entity. So, so the, you know, the Kabbalists break it down a little bit more. They say there are five parts to the soul. Three are inside of us, two are outside of us. But it's one continuum. And that, that part of the soul that exists sees God very clearly because it exists in the spiritual realms. So the soul knows. The soul doesn't believe. The soul knows. Right? And we were talking about it a little bit yesterday and I want to give you this, this visualization because I think, to me, this was like very like, oh yeah, 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 that's it, that's it, that's it. Imagine a submarine, and a submarine is underwater. And you know, a submarine has a periscope. And the periscope rises up from the submarine outside of the water, and it can see on dry land what's going on, right? So that's the soul. The soul rises up from the body, because the body is like, sort of like clouded by this materialistic realm that it exists in. It's like it's underwater. It can't can't see the the greater reality. But the soul which exists inside the body and outside of the body, like a periscope, rises up and it can see, objectively speaking, the greater reality and it knows. It's not a question of belief anymore. It knows. And you see, intuitively, everyone has this innate desire to transcend themselves because everyone's soul understands that there's something greater outside of them than just this world. And so now the question is, how will they how will they um, use this desire for transcendence? How will they manifest this, this desire for transcendence? So, so if you don't have a if you don't have Torah, if you don't have the, this, 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 this gift that God has given us, which is this blueprint to the greater reality and how to access the entirety of creation, if you don't have that, and all you see is just the world around you, then you become a phenomenal opera fan. Right? Because what you experience while you're listening to opera is this amazing sense of transcendence. Or you become a drug addict. Or you become 900 pounds. Or you become like the ultimate Star Wars fanboy. Right? Because all of these things are, in the secular context, experiences where you seek that transcendence. So in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is that People will run after transcendence because it's hardwired into human beings. The question is, are you accessing it in, in, in the way that objective reality presents, which is through the Torah and through the mitzvahs, or are you running blindly after anything that will try to give you that experience that there's something greater than you in the world? So, 
So this brings us, believe it or not, to Korach. (laughs) See, Korach is telling everybody, we're all holy. See, this is why I, I really believe that Korach is the most modern contemporary figure. Besides Moshe, who's absolutely eternal, and, and the Avos, and our holy mothers who are eternal, right? But, but in terms of like just trying to understand contemporary society and contemporary spirituality, Korach is the most, in my opinion, contemporary spiritual figure in the Chumash. Because Korach is telling us that all of us are holy, and that we don't, that we have the answers within ourselves. And, and he's, he's right and he's wrong. <laughs> he's right and he's wrong. He's right because it's true, all the people that he was addressing were at Mount Sinai and did hear the objective reality and the huge giant picture. But he's wrong in terms of saying to us today, and all of the movements who say to us today, you know what? You're all holy. You figure it out. You figure it out. But how can I figure it out? And can I ask you something? Has anyone without Torah ever figured it out in the entire history of the world? No way, Jose. (laughs) (laughs) Has anyone ever figured it out? You know, we have this confidence, I'll figure it out. Or this feels right. You know? Like, I always want to quote Rabbi Green, and I'll tell you a Rabbi Green story after I quote him, which is that this this horrible, embarrassing moment that I had where he was over at my house and I was with my wife, and and I was just just really arguing some point to to my wife that was just completely unnecessary and, and just dumb and just really getting into the argumentation of it. And then I remember capping my opinion with saying, I couldn't feel more strongly. And Rabbi Green sort of like waited a little bit, and then he said to me very gently, you know, there's no real correlation between feeling strongly and being right. (laughs) (laughs) So, So... it was a very humbling moment, but a very needed moment, a very needed moment for my development. Um, so, so I'll just tell you another Rabbi Green story, just because well, just it happened yesterday. So, um, you know, we, we have a laner, someone who reads the Torah for us, but he's, he's reading the Torah for several different shuls. So, really, he's, he's phenomenally un, on time, considering the fact that he's running around the neighborhood, and he's almost, you know, always there on time. But every once in a while, he'll get delayed at one of the places, and so we'll have like a little break between when we're supposed to start reading the Torah and, and when he comes. So when that happens, more often than not, I'll get up and I'll say a, a short of our Torah. So, so I was speaking a little bit later when we put away the Torah, and so I ended up saying basically everything that I wanted to say for later, you know? So when it came time for... For actually giving the you know the official Devar Torah, I, I basically had, had already said what, what what I had prepared to say. So, so I just kind of went with it and I m- made some other points. And then I, I sort of concluded with the following story, which I had heard from Rabbi Green. I haven't seen Rabbi Green 
whom I love, and, and, and he, sh- he should live and be well, but, but, but I haven't seen him in, I don't know, probably a couple of years or whatever it is. And I hadn't gotten over this teaching um, that he had said, or this, this mushal, the story, in many more years. And I wasn't intending on saying it, but all of a sudden, I just as I'm delivering this more impromptu kind of thing, I see the beginning of this story is leaving my mouth, and here it is, we're on the train, we're giving over this teaching, and I was like, I haven't reviewed this, I hope I say this right. I'm sort of like panicking at the beginning. So here, here's how it went, because I, we were talking about, we were comparing Korach, right? Korach, who, it's an interesting comparison, I think, and I haven't seen it sort of like formally presented by in, in this forum, but I'm sure someone goes through it. Comparing Korach and Pinchas, and Korach and Pinchas, there, there's something, you know, you know, there's a lot in common between the two of them. Korach was a Levi, Pinchas was a Levi. Korach wanted to be a Kohen. Pinchas was told that he could never be a Kohen because it's a little bit technical, but his father was a Kohen and his grandfather was a Kohen. But he sort of arrived on the scene at a point where you had to be born to a Kohen in order to be a Kohen. So since when the initial group of Kahanim were brought into place, that was just his father's generation and his grandfather Aaron's generation, since he had already been born, he couldn't be born to a Kohen, which means he was going to remain a lady the rest of his life. Hopefully you followed that. That's a little technical. But anyway, the point is, is that he can never be a Kohen. So, so, and yet, look how the story plays out. Korach, Again, who's a Levi, and Pinchas is who's a Levi. Korach really wants to be a Kohen. Not just a Kohen, he wants to be the Kohen Gadol. And he just wants what he doesn't have. He's just, on one level, Korach is, is extraordinarily complex, and, and the tzaddikim say that ultimately his end is very, very great. Like it says in the, 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 the psalm that we say on Shabbos, um, Tzadi Katamar Yifrach, that a, a date palm is going to flourish, and the last letters of Tzadik Katamar Yifrach spells Korach, right? The, the last letter of each of those words. So they say in the end, really, he is going to flourish. But nonetheless, in, in his timeline, it, it, didn't, it, it, it didn't quite pull it off. It didn't quite pull it off. As exalted as his kavanas, I'm sure, were, right? His intentions. So he wants something that he doesn't have. But Pinchas looks around, he sees injustice. He sees that people aren't serving Hashem in the way that they need to serve Hashem. And he's outwardly directed. He's not just examining what he doesn't have. He's looking out and he's saying, Hashem, though, that the world shouldn't be this way. I want the world to be in a place that, that you should have pleasure in it. And so Pinchas goes and he very actively plays a role. And the craziest thing happens. Hashem makes him a coin, and not only that, but he ends up being the coin guttle. But how did it happen? Not by concentrating on what he didn't have and being inwardly focused, but rather by focusing on the outside and what does the world need? What does Hashem need? What's lacking? And running after that, and in doing that, ends up you know, fulfilling a desire that I'm, I'm, I don't know if he ever, I don't know if he secretly wanted to be a coin. I mean, who, a coin, a coin gadol, he knew he couldn't be. So he ends up probably at this place that he, he, he never imagined in his wildest dreams. 
And it's all coming from not just concentrating on, oh, I don't have this, and I don't have this, and I want that, and I want this, but looking outside oneself, and what does the world need right now? What, what, what does Hashem, so to speak, need right now? So anyway, so a very valuable lesson that I learned early in my Torah study is that you can't control the results, but you're 1,000, 10,000% responsible for the effort. And, and you can control, again, not your circumstances always, but how you react to your circumstances. So, with all of this in mind, let's get back to that Rabbi Green teaching. So the Rabbi Green teaching was, he says, you know, there's a person, and he comes home, and he's hungry, and it's dinner time, and his wife serves him crackers. Right? And he says, you know what? There's going to be a time down the line where the crackers are gone, where the plate is gone, where the table is gone, where the building is gone, where the world no longer exists. And the only thing that's going to remain is how he reacted to the crackers. It's the only thing that's going to remain from that. So, like I said, I didn't even plan on saying it at all, but that just kind of left my mouth. So why am I telling you this? Because I was going to someone's house for lunch, and I'm kind of walking by myself, and walking this way, that way, and then I see a group of people, and I know one or two people from the, the group, so I yell across the street, good Shabbos, say good Shabbos back, and I notice that in that group there's a tall guy, this tall skinny guy who I've never seen before, you know, just because he, just because of his appearance, it just kind of made an impression on me, and whatever it is, so I turn, and I start walking in the other direction where my host was. And then that guy yells half a block away, Rabbi Green sends his regards. <laughs> right? So, as Rip Shlomo would say, what do we know? What do we know? What do we know? I haven't seen Rabbi Green in a couple of years at least. I absolutely wasn't planning on saying that. Then moments later, this guy who I've never seen before yells out. You know? So, so there's a lot more going on to the world than what we can see with our eyes. And like I always like to say, physics says this now. Mathematics says this now. This used to be the realm of religion and belief. And now it's the realm of science, that dimensions exist that we can't see with our eyes. It's no longer the realm of religion anymore. This is accepted. This is accepted. And of course it has to be the case, because the idea that this entire physical universe just kind of exists out of nowhere on its own without any sort of support system around it doesn't, I, I, I personally find, very hard to, to believe. Um, so now let's talk some more about the Levium. Because 
a surprising amount, um, and, and full disclosure, I'm a lady, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so a, a surprising amount of the Chumash, especially in certain concentrated chunks, are talking about the Levium. And by the way, whenever it's talking about the Levium, it's always using the same phrase, Halavium. Halavium, 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 the Levium. Okay, that's the phrase that the Torah uses over and over again, all over the place. And because Karach was a Levi, now remember, you have the Levium, and then you have the Kahanim. The Kahanim are also Levium. Okay, it happens to be that the Levium assist the Kahanim, but the Kahanim are also from the tribe of Levi. So they're all Levium. Okay? So the Levium seem to, are, 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 are separated from the rest of Israel. And when you hear the Levium, understand it's the Kahanim and the Levium, right? And by the way, the Magale Amukos, one of our deepest Torah scholars, says that if you take the first letters of Kohen, Levi, Yisrael, which are the three different groups of, of Jews, it spells Kli, which means vessel, right? So we have to have unity because when there's unity among us, we become a vessel to receive light, okay? And to store light, to hold the, the light from above. Okay, so the Kahanim and the Levium, which are all the Levium, are separated from the rest of Israel. And they're put in charge of the Mishkan, which, which is the prototype, that's the tabernacle, which is the prototype for the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, the Beis HaMikdash, which we know is a portal between heaven and earth. It's the connection between heaven and earth. Okay, and it says that when Hashem would, when, would, would bring down his blessings to the world, he would bring it down through the porthole of the Beis HaMikdash, through the Holy Temple, and then it would spread out to the entire world. And by the way, I saw in the name of the Ramchal that what happens today when we don't have a Beis HaMikdash, who is the portal, so to speak? The portal or the tzaddikim. So the righteous ones, the righteous ones of humanity become that portal that the light comes down through and then spreads out through the world. Right? So, so you have a, the whole, you know, we, we always talk about this construct b- below to above and above to below. So that's all happening through the Mishkan, through, through the Beis HaMikdash, basically all the offerings, all the Kippurah, uh, the atonement is all brought to the Beis HaMikdash, and then it's, it's going up, that's below to above, right? And all the Shefa, all the Bracha, all the light is coming from above to below, also through the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? So there's this portal this of divine energy going above and below. And who are the ones who are administrating that sector of reality, right? That layer? Halavian. Those are the Levian. Okay? So now, listen to this. This is, this is awesome, I think. Do you know what the gematria of Halavim is? It's our old friend 91, which is Yud Kei Vav Kei and Aleph Dalad Nun and Yud, which basically are these two divine names which stand for heaven and earth. Isn't that interesting? That Halavim, the Levim, who are sort of administering that sector, which is the porthole between heaven and earth, Halavim is the gematria of basically these two divine names signaling heaven and earth. So, 
So the question is now, in terms of Korach, Korach is sort of like uniquely positioned to make a wedge between heaven and earth or to bring heaven and earth together. And Rabbi Freeman explains something. You know, we have... A lot of people are familiar with this construct in sort of the modern academic sense. So Hegel said it, right? You have thesis, antithesis, synthesis. What was the first Right? That's um, the philosopher Hegel. You have thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Okay, so, so two opposing thoughts that then come together in the synthesis, right? But thousands of years before that, the Jewish people were saying it. We have chesed, gevura, and tefer. And that's the, that's the right side, the left side, and then the, the unity of these two strains of, of, say, kindness, chesed, and judgment, or din, gevura, and then teferet, which is beauty. That, that's harmonizing these, these different strains. And so Aaron Akain, he represents chesed. So this is like the first day of creation. And the second day of creation, the Zohar is already talking about, vis-a-vis the second day of creation, is talking about Korach. And Rabbi Freeman pointed out, very interestingly, that most of the Zohar's explanation about Korach actually appears in, in the section of Breshis, of creation. So to show you how integral this sort of dynamic going back and forth and then reaches harmony is in terms of sort of like the story of creation. Because a story needs three points. A beginning, a middle, and an end. Right? The beginning, the middle, where everything sort of becomes complicated and how, it's, how is it going to work out? How is it going to work out? That's what we would call the exile right now. And then the synthesis. Right? The conclusion, that's Teferit, that's where it all comes together beautifully, right? That's, that's, that's the Messianic Age, which, as we said, is built into creation from the very, very beginning, from the very beginning. So, so what happened on the second day of creation? The upper waters and the lower waters were separated. And that's the first case of argumentation in creation itself because the lower waters don't want to be distanced from the higher waters because the higher water seems to be where the most exalted experience of spirituality exists and then the lower waters are all the way on the bottom so Korach represents the separation of the waters and the lower waters right and then what's the third day well Moshe is the third son of his family right so, so Moshe is then going to come and solve the whole problem. But as Rabbi Freeman put it, Korach goes off script. Moshe is supposed to come and make it all better, and Korach is supposed to go okay, and then you'll have the, you know, you'll have Chesed Aaron, you'll have Gevura, right? The the Levium or Gevura, you'll have Korach, and then you'll have Moshe who will come and wrap it up and make it all beautiful again because on the third day of creation it says Kitov twice, it was good twice so there's like this extra sense that everything gets wrapped up on the third day but what happens, Karak says oh no, and it's sort of like 
Korach, you're off script. What are you doing? <laughs> you're supposed to you're supposed to be going this way. You're going that way. You're holding out. What's going on? What's going on? So, so this is where I where the Levium now. Now remember, Korach was the one who who was one of the people who held the Aron Kodesh, the holy ark that had the tablets of the Ten Commandments in it. Right? He was uniquely positioned. He was really a great person. And of course, the Torah is that thing that that blends heaven and earth, you know? Or reveals the unity of heaven and earth, better said. So if Korach is like in his strata in between heaven and earth, right? As Levium is the one who's holding the, the Aaron Kodesh, is staying firm and insisting on his will and his separation, this is a problem. This is a problem. So I just want to throw in a Rambam the Rambam says that, um, that, that, that in today's day and age, anyone who devotes themselves to Torah study is, is counted as a member of the tribe of Levi. Okay, they can't get the Levi Aliyah, that far it doesn't go, right? But nonetheless, they're considered a member of the tribe of Levi. And now when you understand that Halavim is 91, that's the Yud Vavke and Alf Dad Nun and Yud, that's these two divine names meaning heaven and earth. If you understand what the Rambam is saying on, a, on, a, on another level is that anyone, what does it mean who's studying Torah like full-time, dedicating themselves to Torah study, can be like the tribe of Levi? That means that Torah study itself is the greatest connector of heaven and earth. Do you hear? Because someone who's studying Torah is counted as a Levi, Halavim, are the ones who are making heaven and earth come together. So that's the extreme power of Torah study. Right? It's this, this ultimate this ultimate tool of revelation. It's this, it's this beacon which lights up the entire world and shows the unity of all of creation. As it says, we read it every morning. Talmud Torah, Kineged Kulam. It's, 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 it's worth all of the mitzvahs. It's worth all of the mitzvahs. And it's, it's why anyone who is serious about um, dedicating themselves to a, a spiritual path or a Torah path must have a regular um, must have a regular schedule of Torah study. Even if it's and I'm totally serious when I say this I'm not trying to be funny. Even if it's a minute a day. Even if you're reading two lines out of a book. It's, it's a breath of oxygen. It's a focusing of the eyes. It's a unzipping of the covering over reality, and it's 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 necessary. You, you you can't succeed without it. You can't succeed without it. It's like um, Rabbi Wolfson says about Amuna, because this is, you know, the the daily Torah study is something that keeps Amuna going. He says, can you imagine someone? You ask someone, did you eat breakfast? He goes, no, 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 I ate breakfast yesterday. Like, what does that to do with today, you know? It's very nice that you ate it yesterday, but it's a, this is a daily thing. It's not a, oh, you, oh, you've been to Paris. Okay, you don't have to go back to Paris. No, 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 no. This is not like that. So, so, we just, uh, just finish up. See, they say, they say that 
that Korach, the Zohar says that Korach, right now, right now the, the left side, meaning din or judgment, is sort of like a subset of the right side. Okay? So, so but that Korach wanted to basically put the left above the right. And it's 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 a it's it's a confusing thought. It's a confusing thought because we associate the left with the din. And why was he? Why would he want to bring more judgment down on the world? Like, what's the? What is the Zohar saying exactly? So I'll just tell you how how I understand it. So basically, you see, when, when God set about to create the world, first he wanted to do it with just Midas Adin. Right? From, in other words, that the world should basically operate in a perfect way. That you wouldn't need mercy in the world because everyone was doing the right thing all of the time. So it, could, so it, was, it, it was a vision of perfection. In other words, it, that's, that's an important distinction I'm making right now. It's not a vision of strictness. You could say, you know, if anyone falls out of line, din comes in, like, you know, judgment comes in. No, no, no. Everyone would so be doing the right thing anyway that it was just a vision of perfection. Do do you hear? Like clockwork. Okay? But human beings being what human beings are, and the fact that God wanted us to choose to do the right thing, which means there has to be the possibility of doing the wrong thing, right? And that's sort of like a condition of our humanity is doing the wrong thing, for better or for worse. God had to, if he, if he was going to prioritize his desire for us to want to choose to do the right thing, had to allow for the fact that we wouldn't do the right thing all the time, and therefore he had to make the basis of the foundation of the world ches, or rachmin, right? mercy, and not did. It had to start with chesed. And then, but that doesn't give everyone just sort of like free reign to run all over the place and be crazy, right? Then there would also be din, but it would be, a, it would be working within the mercy. Okay? Now, now, interestingly, there's a school of thought that says that Korach was trying to bring Mashiach. And the Navi Yecheskel, the Prophet Yecheskel, says that in the end of days, all the Levim are going to become Kahana. That that actually is this, this evolution that is going to take place. And so by Korach himself wanting to be, go from being a Levi to being a Kohen, he was trying to advance, this is from Rabbi Wolfson, he was trying to advance this messianic scenario taking place. You see? Now, furthermore, it says that in the end of days, you know, we have two main schools of halachic thought in the, in the Gemara, in the Talmud. One is Beis Shammai and one is Beis Hillel. Beis Shammai is more din, more gevorah, like, like Korach, right? And the other is more mercy-based, right? More rachmi, more chesed. That's, that's Beis Hillel. So the halacha is according to Beis Hillel in this world, but it says in the next world, 
right? In the Zmana Tikkun, in the time of perfection, it's going to be like Beishamai. Because, again, things are going to be running so perfectly, basically, that the world can be restored to this halacha of Din again, like Beishamai. So, so let's get back to Karach then. So now you see the idea that, like the Zohar is saying, that he wanted to, to, to kind of like realign the left side and to raise it up above the right, right? That this was a, a dream of perfection. And now we can understand his words. We're all holy. But I want to add one more step because I still had trouble understanding this whole thing. Because I was like, but how could it be that he's trying to bring down Din at this time, right? Because we hadn't reached this state yet. And then I remembered something. You know, you learn things over the years and sometimes there are these facts that you can't do anything with them. But as a rabbi told me one, one, one time, you know, when you learn those things, put them in your pocket. Because it could be, you know, in this case, it's, I don't know, 10, 20 years, 25. You, you, you will be able to use them. It's just waiting for the right time to use this piece of information. So the following information is the following, which is that there are many opinions that Parshish Karach is actually out of place. You know, the, the Torah isn't necessarily written in the order of events that it happened in. And according to this opinion, Parsha's Korach actually happened, the rebellion of Korach actually happened before the incident of the spies. Okay, it's a bit of a technical reason why, why it was moved. Basically, I'll, I'll just tell you because Boloscha ends with, um, with Miriam speaking Lashon Hara, and then they wanted to attach that to Parsha Shalach about the spies because the spies speak Lashon Hara about the land of Israel. So they wanted that lockstep thing between Miriam and the spies, so it goes, it goes straight to Parshish Shalach and then to Parshish Korach. But the events of Parshish Korach, according to this opinion, actually happened before this sentence that the entire generation has to die out wandering for 40 years. Okay? Now we've got a brand new context to put everything that we've been learning about Korach and Mashiach in. Okay? So, so I want to say the following. We're leaving Mount Sinai. We've atoned for the Cheta Egel. We've built the Mishkan. Remember, the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was a, a kapora, forgiveness for the Cheta Egel. We are now heading into Israel with Moshe Rabbeinu. So, this is the march toward Mashiach. At this, at this moment, this is the march toward Mashiach. So in this context, the idea of, of Korach saying, Hashem, now's the time. You said we're going to be an entire nation of priests. Now's the time for us to realize our destiny as we're marching into the Holy Land with Moshe Rabbeinu. Now it's all happening. See, because the idea that he's bringing down Din on a generation that's just been sentenced to die out in the desert for 40 years doesn't make any sense. 
But the idea that it's sort of like we're so close and now I'm ramping it up. I'm taking it to the next level right now. Now it's all coming down. It's all going to happen now. Then I can begin to understand perhaps what the how all these things fit together and what his kavana was, right? Because he was, everyone agrees, whether you're, whether you're arguing on his behalf or against him, everyone agrees that he was super brilliant and super holy. So he was not trying to bring down horribleness on the Jewish people. It just it doesn't make any sense. So you have to understand, what was his kavana then? It couldn't have been just purely self-serving. That, that, that's not giving him enough credit. That doesn't make sense either. So then what was it? So perhaps that's what it was. So, you know, just finish with this last, last thought, which is that until we get there, until we get there, especially now is this time of Tammuz, now is the time that we're spying out the land, Right? And, you know, it's interesting because we always call the spies the maraglim. But if you actually look in Parsha Shalach, the word maraglim is never used. It's not used once. Right? I remember when I heard that the first time, I almost fell on the floor. I was like, no, that can't be. But all we talk about is the maraglim. You're telling me the, mara- the word maraglim is never used once? It's never used once. You know where the maraglim is used? It's used by Yosef HaTzadik when he looks at the brothers. And Yosef, at that point, they say that he hadn't grown out his beard yet. So he had a full beard, and he's dressed as an Egyptian, and I guess he's speaking Egyptian. So the brothers don't recognize him, and they think he's dead anyway. And he's accusing them, because this is part of the whole divine plan for the brothers to do tshuva for selling him, and basically to save the whole world. He's, a, he's accusing them of being spies, like, you're not really here to get food. He knew they were only there to get food. But it's part of a very complicated plan. And he says, you're Maraglim! <laughs> so interestingly, this word Maraglim, spies, which we know how the story of the Maraglim ends, it ends horribly, was actually not used originally about a piece of property. Right? But it was used about looking at each other. And so... So, you know, all of us are Maraglim. We're all trying to get from here to there. And you're supposed to look around you and to proceed with intelligence, right? But being part of the Maraglim doesn't mean not having a good eye. You can be, you can be Maraglim, but you can also have a good eye. And especially since the primary initial use of the word was in terms of looking at each other. So let's make sure that we're looking at each other. And, you know, each one of us has vast terrains of land inside of us. (laughs) Huge unexplored terrains, right? Because remember, there's levels of infinity, right? You know, if you asked me as a kid, what's the definition of, inf- of infinity? I would have told you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and it never stops. But then, if you learn a little bit about math, you understand that there's an infinite 
There are infinite numbers between one and two and between two and three. <laughs> there are these irregular numbers that never stop. They're infinite. So you have levels of infinity, right? So the soul is a piece of Hashem. It's not Hashem, but it's a piece of Hashem. But it's still infinite. Well, you say, only oh, God is infinite. No, this is another level of infinity. You have a level of infinity inside of you. And that's this vast terrain. So, especially over this next period of time where a day can count for a year or for 500 years, who knows? Who knows? Because the world is extremely vast, right? So who knows what this scale is? Let's make sure that we're giving each other a good eye and that we're giving each other the benefit of the doubt always. Amen. Amen, amen. Now for some questions and answers. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to a question, a comment you made at the beginning of the talk. I think yeah. you asked, uh, has there ever been anyone great who hasn't... Uh, who's figured it out. Who's figured it out without the Torah. Has anyone so, ever figured it out? Yeah. Um, first of all, I think the question is, you know, what is Torah exactly? Because Torah is yeah. every, everywhere, it's in nature, yeah. it's everywhere. So that yeah. kind yeah. of modifies the, yeah. the answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, the Buddha, uh, the... the uh, enlightenment that he, he gained uh, and uh, there's also the thing about Abraham giving gifts to the East so you don't know if yes. that's about Torah yes. uh, but um, that was just the uh, that was just an example that came to my mind yes. of someone who seems like they really and it was funny when you yeah. were talking about yeah. the example of the guy with the cracker yeah. uh, that's like kind of Buddhism 101 the idea of impermanence you know that yeah. to contemplate that everything around you doesn't yeah. have a lasting essence yeah. but there's an extra little spin uh, yes. but that also yeah. that you know that our actions are ultimately yeah. what make up our karma and who we are yes so, so a lot of the the great spiritual di- traditions you'll see that there are commonalities right. which is which is appropriate there should be commonalities that's not that's not that's not a contradiction at all. That's 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 that that that's a good thing. But we say um, that that Torah is the complete blueprint. That is the complete blueprint. And so, while it's possible to glimpse parts of it, the entirety of itself is unique to Torah. That 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 is that is what we say, and that the other traditions while worthy, and they wouldn't exist on, unless on some level God wanted them to exist, are stages of evolution getting toward what we have right now. And again, that's not a, that's not a judgment, that's not, oh, we're so great, or anything like that. But, but, but it's, it's contextualizing how it is that there can be other righteous movements in the world that, that do have something to them, and, and a reality to them, but it's not the it's not the ultimate reality which they themselves are going to get to when creation gets wrapped up at the end as well. Could it be the, the Torah is a complete blueprint for the Jewish soul or for, right. for a Jew, and then there's other systems no. that are complete for them? No. For so so we say so we say no. So the Torah would say um, that 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 there's there's. We say ain od milvado. There, there, there is nothing other than God, and that, and that God created the entire world out of the Torah. So the the Torah is the the mold. It is it is the mold.
But wouldn't it yeah. make sense that Hashem would say, hey, I want everyone to reach the highest possible level, so yes. I have this blueprint of the Torah for, for my people, for the Jewish people, yes. but I also have these other systems that are available. Well, to that's exactly what have. he's doing. That is exactly what is taking place now, just what you said. That is what's taking place now. But, but it's good that Buddhism is built on impermanence, because it is impermanent. <laughs> Because it, it, as a theology itself, it will sort of like blossom to the greater reality of Torah, as will as will everything, as will everything. Yeah. But um, but along the way, for various reasons unknown by us in the divine plan, God has given the peoples of the world different ways to connect until that ultimate blossoming. Um, that we're all God's children, right? And and that that we say that God made the world out of the Torah, right? So so it has to be that every single person on earth has a share in the Torah. It, it has to be. And in fact, you have the the seven mitzvahs b'nei noach. You have the seven universal mitzvahs, which are incumbent upon all of humanity. So. Every, every single person has a share in the Torah, and every single person has the status of God's child. That, that, that's, that's all the case. It's just a question of what is, is there, an, is there an ultimate truth? And we say, very much so, yes, there is. And, and I, I would just ask you to just contemplate this, um, just to kind of give you a visual, right? Which is that you've got trillions or at least hundreds of billions of interstellar entities, gab- galaxies, nebulae, planets, stars, all, all, all these things, right? And then as you come down, and, and all, all in this like divine choreography where they don't all smash into each other. Like, you know, there, there is some smashing, but... And black holes to make like God just like you know I'm going to throw in a few black holes like just to make it even more amazing that the entire system doesn't fall apart. I mean, if you just contemplate that for a while, how is it that there are trillions of intergalactic entities, and it, they don't all ping pong off each other? It's 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 extraordinary. It's actually extraordinary considering the fact that there are all these sort of X factors built into that system, and it still doesn't fall apart. Then you go down and you've got, like, I heard that the position of the sun is such that if it were a little bit closer, basically the entire world would be on fire. And if it were a little bit further, we'd all freeze to death. Then you have, like, air itself, which is exactly the right amount of nitrogen and right amount of oxygen. Like, you know, it could be that if you lit a match, the whole world would catch on fire. Right? Like, exactly balanced. Then you go down further to DNA, and DNA is exactly, exactly precise. If you say, okay, so throw in a few more Y chromosomes, who cares? It's like the person would have nine heads. Right? And then you go down to the subatomic level, and everything is incredibly precise on the subatomic level. So from the galaxies, all the way down to the subatomic level, you see this rigorous, rigorous, rigorous structure. 
And it's not like, well, in my opinion, there's no DNA. Well, in my opinion, we've got double the DNA. No, no, no. There is a consistent, objective, verifiable consistency and truth. And the one who made that all is God. So I would like to suggest, based on that, that the idea that there's a unity of purpose, that there's a unity of vision informing that entire superstructure is quite logical. And, and one follows from the other. And that it isn't confounding. Well, then how could there be millions of people who believe that? It's, it's rose up. They were tapping into an aspect of the truth. Eventually, they'll receive the entirety of the truth. But it's not quite as wondrous or mysterious as it seems. A lot of people living in isolated different parts of the world, they're going to come up with belief systems. doesn't mean they're bad people or that they're wrong for now. But they'll get there. They'll get there. Just like there's a unity and a singularity of the structure of creation, so it is in the realm of truth. So, um, when you talked about how uh, Korah and uh, what's his name? The one that killed Pinchas, 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 right? Yeah. yeah. And like Pinchas was coming from like the right place so he was able to become a Cohen. Yeah, the coin guttle, even. Right? Yeah. The coin guttle. Yeah. So I have to tell you, this yeah. morning I read a story. Yeah. And it's not that this guy is a Pinchas, but it is a kind of a Pinchas kind of thing. Why? Yeah. And I have it here. It's, it's uh, and I saved it in case you want to read yeah. it. But the long and short of it is, you know, I yearn to make Aliyah. Yeah. And it's like a yearn. And every time somebody, it's like a, it's like an honor privilege that Hashem plucks you out. And so when I see these stories, I'm like, oh. And it's like, no, I don't want to be jealous because they merited it. And, you know, when, <laughs> if I'm going to get it, when I, you know. So I'm reading this story. And this is like so perfect from what you said at the beginning that Hashem is here. It's like it's here. It's like, you know. This is a couple that wanted to make Aliyah 45 years ago, their Kavana and everything. And slowly their children came doing. He's an ophthalmologist in Detroit, right? And like he says, life got in the way, and they, but slowly the children kept going. But they still yearn to do this, right? And he, he, he's an ophthalmologist that makes house calls in Detroit. And he was told, forget it. That doesn't work in Israel, and you would be making $10 an hour, right? They finally decide to do it. Within a month, he was, first of all, he, the, the papers, and he got the license and everything, like, boom. And when, and then we, when he got there, he was chosen to do house calls in the West Bank what? for patients, because since he had this unbelievable equipment that he takes with him, yeah. uh, the organization, Leomir, or whatever, hired him to be the doctor that goes in the West Bank with this equipment that they don't have, and he's making just as much money. Wow. And it was like, <laughs> how perfect is that? It's like Hashem working in, like, you can tell me that you're not going to make, and that and there are other doctors right. that were not making that, but Hashem said to him here. God can do anything. 
Yeah. And it was like, when you said that, I thought, wow, you know, it's like, it just made me think of this. Yeah, beautiful. It's just so divine. Yeah. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Like sometimes when you're learning Torah and you're Derek Torah all the way, that's when you have more shkafa of things like somebody on the street yelling out, Rabbi Green says it's regard. You know, when you're completely on that journey. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was saying about the electrons and the neurons. Yeah. That's why in Israel so many people have such amazing stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if we say that, what do we say that? That, to, that Halavim is 91. Right. And if you want to be a Levi, learn Torah. So Torah is what? Torah is bringing heaven and earth together. So you're, so that's Hashkacha Pratis. What is Hashkacha Pratis? You know, providence. It's, it's experiencing heaven on earth. So it makes sense. Yeah? What appears contrary to appearance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks like on the surface, it could look like yeah. Korach. You could look at it different ways. You could say, "One, he's always trying to be a, a, a raise the people up," like you're saying, or like he's really fighting to give the, the, this 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 high level status to everyone, be universal, like a like a like a proto democrat, or, or or something, or, or a pop. Well, he's just quoting God. He's yeah. just quoting God. And he's yeah, he doesn't seem wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Although at some levels, I think. By dressing himself in all blue, he's kind of saying like, "I'm also." He's really. He doesn't realize he's a wealthy elite because that dye is really expensive. And one thread is yeah. my thought is that that Interesting. thread yeah. is not yeah. like is is for everybody. Right. Only he and his his cohort could probably dress in all blue. Yeah. You know, I don't think the whole of Israel could dress in all blue. There wouldn't be enough dye. But that that's just beside the point. His argument could seem. Look, we're all holy, right? Yeah. We're all meant to be at the holiest level. Yeah. So on appearances, he seems like he's more in line with the kahuna, of, of, in a way saying, like, this is the highest. Whereas if you look at Pinchas, it looks like an act of violence. Like, hey, you know, free yeah. love. Like right. a bunch of hippies out in the field. What are you bugging them for? Yeah. You know, let them do their thing. You right. do your thing, I do my thing. Tolerance. Right. You know, what are you going to right. stab him for? It seems so <laughs> insane almost. Like, right. why would he do such a thing? Right. And yet he cured... Stopped a plague. A plague. Saved the Jewish and people. saved the Jewish people. Yeah. And became a uh, Kohen Gadol. Yeah. Which is like Aaron's level of, which is, you said, Hesed. Right. So it doesn't look like an act of Hesed. Yes. They got him a Hesed. So right. I'm saying, the yeah. appearances yeah. are so contrary. In right. my, my 21st century modern liberal viewpoint, I'm like... How the heck did Pinchas get Kohanim from that? Right. And where's Korach? Why is he being swallowed up by the earth? It just doesn't, you know, you see what yeah. I'm saying? It doesn't, Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, so that's yeah. what I'm saying. Appearances versus right. this other version. So, but what's the, but what's the solution to yeah. what you're saying yeah. is just follow the Torah. Yeah, but it wasn't obvious. This is the beginning. Torah just been given. It's like, they're just no, figuring no, it because, out. Right? Listen, I'll tell you, I, I, I think I, I'm pretty sure I heard in the name of the Berdichever Rebbe. Okay. Something wild, right? Which is that it had Korach just stayed silent and hadn't engineered this rebellion, he actually was going to be appointed Levi Gadol. Interesting. This, that's a position that actually never came into fruition. No. But there was going to be a Levi Gadol in addition to a Kain Gadol, 
and he was the man who was going to be appointed for that. So again, with Karach, it's all about timing or seemingly the lack thereof, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I heard that in Israel from a representative Todd about that he was destined for greatness. You know, he would have just hung in there. And she compared it to like the women's movement. She was saying how some yeah. women want to learn Torah now and, yeah. and they're whatever. I'm not learning Torah, but they want to they want to be more in the men's role. Yeah, they're rabbis. Yeah. Like rabbis. But she was saying just like she compared it to Korach. She said that in in when Hashem wanted to happen. It's actually going to happen yeah. in the time of Mashiach that women will be learning right. at a different level. Yeah. yeah. So, so she said the same thing you just said. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's, but at the same time, it's so challenging because a lot of times God looks to us and says, "No, I don't want it to be this way, and I am looking to you to, to like improve the situation." So it's this, and then, so then then becomes challenging because you go, oh, wait a second, am I supposed to do something or am I not supposed to do something? And that's why we go to our gedolim. At that point, we have to go to the, the, the top people in the generation who just are 24-7 immersed in Kedusha and holiness because they're, they're able to... Um, they're able through Ruach HaKodesh, through Das Torah, they call it, to understand the proper path, even even if it looks very counterintuitive and even regressive, but but that's just the way it appears to our eyes, you know, over the next year or two or three or four or five, right? But they they're, they're tapping into the beyond. So so that's 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 why um, if you want to be a Torah personality, um, what's called emunis chachamim, faith in the sages. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an that's that's an important thing because it's part of your own um, humility and 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 and, and um, it, it, it is to recognize that I am not immersed in this twenty four seven. I might get a bunch of good ideas here and there, but I'm not immersed in it twenty four seven. He is. He he's going to have an insight that that I won't have. And by the way, it may not make sense to me. But that, that's why they call it emunas hachamim, which means belie- there's an element of belief that's necessary to have that relationship. But that's, that is an element that's necessary for a person's own perfection. Because the mind only will reach a certain place and the world goes way beyond the mind. And if you want to straddle that chasm and get to the other side of where the mind doesn't reach, you have to attach yourself to, to wings. The mitzvahs have wings. Torah has wings. The gedolim have wings. That's just kind of the way it is. We don't have uh, time to turn to a sage, or we just don't have that access yeah. to the point. Uh, I just want to suggest that uh, a powerful tool sometimes is to go back to the breath, kind of let go of all the stories, let go of all the yeah. emotion, your yeah. emotional reaction to yes. what's happening. Yes. And then and then do what Hashem wants you to do, but yeah. without all the emotional baggage. And something yes. that even when you're entering into a kind of a situation with a little more conflict, you're coming in with a kind of an empty vessel, just with Hashem's light, and not yeah. your own emotional whatever, it somehow doesn't cause the, 
the spark of like conflict as much. And people still yes. have sense. Yes. Well, sort of the person's coming in without yes. baggage, and then yes. it's, it's very interesting, you know. Yeah, and so. and the and the, the sages say it says in Perikavos when you get to that place, as you're saying, when you breathe and just try to let go of the emotion, they say calculate the reward, or perhaps let's say pleasure, of doing the wrong thing versus the reward for doing the right thing. <laughs> like, make it, make a cost, what they call in Wall Street, a cost-risk analysis <laughs> of doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Can you give yeah. me an example of that specifically? Let's say, imagine you're leaving yeah. a shore or something, you see someone right. throwing a piece of garbage in the ground. Right. And for me, my immediate reaction is I get angry. Yes. I want to be like, hey, you know, like, this is, yeah, yeah. I live here, da da Right, right, okay. yeah. Besides that, I can stop, but then can you give me the example, how would I cost-benefit analysis there? Should I talk to this person? Does that help benefit? Uh, yeah, I'm trying to figure out yeah. how to... So, so, or another reaction, just to throw out different, different ideas, another reaction is they continue walking, and then you make sure that they actually don't see you, and you just pick up the garbage and put it in the waste paper basket. And that's the end of that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because because the the downside is maybe I'm embarrassing them and then or maybe even publicly embarrassing them which is a hundred times worse than whatever litter they're putting into the world which eventually some sanitation worker is going to clean up <laughs> right so so it's like it's not our job to awaken to help awaken people yeah well you know like it says that um, I would put this in the in the following category which is, it says, it says in, in Gemara Shabbos, the certain qu- questions that, that the heavenly court are going to ask us, our souls in the next world. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, did you make a fixed time for Torah study? Mm-hmm. So it's called Torah Bi'ito, Torah in its time. Mm-hmm. So I heard in the, from the uh, Biala Rebbe, mm-hmm. he had his own understanding of Torah Bi'ito, which is, did you say the right Torah in the right time? Wow. You see? Because we think, or I'll speak for myself, at a certain stage in my life, I was like, Torah is Torah. Whatever Torah you say is always the right Torah, because it's always the time for Torah. So it's always the right time for me to say whatever I want to say as long as it's a Torah thought. Wrong. <laughs> According to this, anyway, that's not Torah Be'ito. Torah Be'ito means you've got to say the right thing in the right time. So the question is, can that person receive the message on the street right after he's dropped something and he's standing with two friends. Right? You know? So probably not. I'm going to guess probably not. But maybe you'll get into a conversation with him another day and, you know, and you'll say, hey, you know, yeah, I'm really into the environment. You know, like, like for instance, like, imagine the good we can do by just throwing stuff in trash cans. You know what I mean? And he never even knows that you're addressing an incident that you saw him do, you know? Yeah. More thinking of Korach than I remember ever thinking of Korach. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I heard, I went to this quick lecture with David Grossman. I don't know if you know Rabbi, Rabbi David Grossman. Oh, sure. He's awesome. I love him. Yeah, awesome. I've learned a huge, huge. Have you been there with me? I don't know. Maybe. No, I haven't. But I've huge, huge volumes of Torah from him. Okay. So, so he, he said a couple things I had never heard before. Yeah. That kind of plagued played my mind too, like much like this conversation today again over the idea of Korach and, and yeah. where he went wrong, and seeing how he said to me that he was not only just brilliant or smart, he said he was smarter than Moshe, which is hard to believe. 
but obviously some rabbis made that point. And that he was not the, just wealthy. But can I just say one thing? I don't yeah. mean to interrupt. But smart is not the, the biggest compliment to the world. Exactly. You know? There's some catches yeah. in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd rather be a lot of other things than smart. Right. You know? Anyway, go ahead. So, yeah, right, obviously. Whereas Moshe, he was making that point that it's like a vessel because he was, his modesty had opened him up to knowing the right thing to do for God, to connect to God. Right. So that's a contrary point of what yeah. Korah's problem was. Yeah. That he, he, had, he, had, he yeah. also had that vision. Yeah. That, that, that whatever that right, but he didn't know how to interpret it, though. Right. He saw that he's going to have holy descendants, so he figures, how could I be on the wrong track if I'm having such holy descendants? But he didn't, he didn't it's like, you know, he didn't interpret the, the vision properly. I'll t- I t- I t- I tell you something, because it's, it's, I, I like this. My, my wife has this, uh, this kind of bit of family wisdom. This is more inside of our family, you know, yes. but I'll, I'll share it with you, which is that she has this phrase called, one below. Right, one below. What does one below mean? She she always says we want one below. So we, you know, there 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 are many quote unquote geniuses who do really wacky things. Okay. Right, and and there's a problem that comes with genius. Yeah. The problem that comes with genius is that you you enter into um, essentially uncharted realms, and once you enter into uncharted realms it's very easy to make wrong calls, mm-hmm. right? In terms of thinking that you're beyond the system, for instance, mm-hmm. that it doesn't apply to you, mm-hmm. that you're smarter than the system. Mm-hmm. And so in a very strange way, oftentimes genius can be a liability. Mm-hmm. And, and so my wife's catchphrase for that is she says, we don't want geniuses, we want one below. <laughs> like in terms of like, like for Shaduchim, marriage partners. No, he's a genius. I'm not interested. One below. We want one below. So those are the people who basically are reaching the top of the system, <laughs> right? Intellectually speaking. And so they're not, they're, not, they're not using their own intelligence as a liability. They're just fully maximizing it because they're working within the system at that point. So anyway, I like this, this, this catchphrase, one below, you know? And you find it also with, with all sorts of things, not just, not just um, genius. You, 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 you find it with looks, with looks. Oh, wow. Sometimes people are so unbelievably beautiful that, and you think, wow, what a blessing, what a blessing. And it's like, not for me. Not for me. I, I, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wish that on someone. Honestly, it's. Can you imagine? Can you imagine going through life like, like, let's say you're a woman. Can you imagine going through life as like the most gorgeous woman in the world? I think that would be very, 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 very difficult. Extremely difficult. You know. It just. It just. There's no end to the problems. It just. You know. So. You know, even even wealth, even wealth at a certain point, like like Karach, they say, was the richest person richest, in Israel. Yeah, so even, and then when you combine extreme intelligence and extreme wealth, and then extreme lineage, I mean, he had the greatest, his lineage was basically identical to Moshe's, more or less. So it's, it's, it's. It's, 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 you know, I'll tell you something. You see it, I actually heard this point from Rabbi Beryl Wine who says that, you know, at the end of creation, Hashem uses the phrase tov ma'od, mm-hmm. which up until, up until then, God's just been saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, tov, 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 
And then all of a sudden he gets to Tov Ma'od, which means very good. And you look at the Medrash there and it says that's where the Yetzirah was, was created. Wow. That's where death was created. Wow. On the Tov Ma'od. <laughs> like, so this, the thing of very, and that's a more complicated teaching, but still, you see, when you get to this, these realms of very, 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 like, we all become envious of it. But it's not so simple. Life becomes very, very complicated in those in those stratas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Aspect. He said, what's the difference between a window and a and a mirror? Is that the window you look out and see the world, but if you're gonna put silver, which is like for like basically wealth or power yes. or whatever way you want to look at, you're seeing your own reflection. Right. You're limited. You can't see out. Yes. You're 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 blocked. You're seeing your own ref- own world. Yeah. Your own yes. How it relates to you. Right. And I thought, wow, that's a real trap. That is a real dangerous trap. That like to look at like Korah, the Korah trap of, of uh, how easy it is to get stuck in yourself instead of having the clear window to to, to see the to see the world more clearly and not have that barrier. You know, and I, and, and that's relating to what you're saying that the trap. Of whatever it is, immense total power, total wealth, total, total intelligence, total good looks, or as you would say, all these things that we value as being like, oh, isn't that awesome? Uh, it could be a trap, you know, in, in its own weird way. It could li- be a lim- its own form of limitation, yes. you know, and, and seek to the clearer, more open, true view of the world and, and the godly, the, what God really wants, and, and to see the, the truth. You know, like the Emmis, the real Emmis. You know, yeah. like and, and so it's hard if you're trapped. You know, I mean, it, it's interesting how Korah. You ask yourself, how did that man? And and it looks so ridiculous. He looks like a fool. In fact, like he's Moshe. You're talking about right. what kind of idiot are you, Aaron? Moshe, right. who do you think you are, though? But he had that trap. You know, it blinded him. And I'm thinking, ah, 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 that's an easy trap. And we look at the glitterati of uh, we're in LA of all places. Where people get so easy to get in that trap, right? I mean, it's so easy to fall victim, right? To to uh, the right. self reference. He's look. he's famous, so he's important, and yeah. I'm nothing. Right? And yeah, we could buy into it too. Yeah. Also, society, the the media reflects that. You know? Sure. I, although I made a personal joke, I don't know. It's funny, like you know, the, there was T-shirts. It's just political, so I don't know if everybody wants to hear. But, <laughs> but 